series today, Black Sheep in the Manger. Uh, last week I unpacked this series and I failed to mention one important shout out and that's to my mom. Uh, some of you might have met my mom, she was here a few weeks ago. Uh, she has a master's in theology, she's a person of faith and definitely an inspiration in my life. And uh, even in her um, sunsetting years, so to speak, she has uh, committed herself to writing different curriculum and content. And one of the things that she wrote recently was a devotional on, um, on these four women in the Bible that are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. And so she was the inspiration for this, and I, as I was reading through this content that she had laid out, I was like, this would be a really good sermon series uh, coming into Advent. So she entitled it, uh, Skeletons in Jesus' Closet, and I thought that was a little, un that would be like good for Halloween maybe, you know? So, so Black Sheep in the Manger is what we landed on instead. These are the ones in Jesus' genealogy that um, most families would probably be a little bit embarrassed of, and maybe try to disguise or hide. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about the life of Tamar. No. Rahab. Any pet lovers here? Raise your hand. Pet lovers. Any like? Yeah. Any people like obsessed with animals? Like, yeah. A little extra. Uh, I love animals deeply, and um, my first job was actually working at Petco, and so what I would do is I'd, I'd literally be working the cash register with a ferret crawling in my pouch. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes a toucan, like, on my shoulder, like, sometimes, like, literally, like, like checking people out, so, um, and I'd answer the phones and say, thank you for calling Petco, where the pets go, this is James, how can I help you, and, uh, I love, love, love pets. I actually think I, I love them a little too much. I think for most of my life, I actually had a, a skewed relationship with pets um, where it was actually not fully um, uh, healthy, and I'll explain why. Um, when we were in San Diego about maybe six years ago, um, we had a dog named Lucy, and we adopted this dog out of the litter, like hand-picked, right? Like, this is our dog, and it was before we had children, so it was just this little <laughs> tiny puppy. We brought it home, and we nursed this thing, and nourished this thing, and, and it was just our, our pride and joy, and Lucy was uh, so precious, and in my eyes, she could do no wrong. She was a perfect angel. <laughs> I mean, like, she would have accidents, and it didn't matter. Like, I was like, she's still an angel, you know what I'm saying? And um, uh, as we had moved, it caused some stress, obviously, for the animal, and then our daughter, who was, you know, uh, at the time like one and a half or two, um, she loved animals as well, and so she just loved to give dogs just these big, big hugs. And and slowly, I started noticing that like Lucy was not feeling very comfortable with this, and I'd hear her growl, and I was like, okay, Emma, you need to give the dog space. You need to give the dog space. And and a couple of times Lucy would would growl, and I was like, Emma, I need to give you discipline if you don't stay away from the dog. So one evening, Katie was out of the house. All bad things happen when the wives are out of the house. I don't know why it just happened. <laughs> so Katie's out of the house, and I am literally trying to fold laundry in the bedroom. So I'm trying to be a good husband, and and I hear I hear uh, uh, Emma, and I hear the dog girl. So like I, I have to discipline Emma once. I discipline her a second time, and I thought she would have learned a lesson by that point. And then all of a sudden, I hear Lucy. Um, growl real loud and then Emma just starts screaming screaming and 
and I come out there and Emma's bleeding all down her face and realize that Lucy had bit her cheek and so Katie literally walks in the door like 30 seconds later. <laughs> I am I am crying because I'm so distraught and upset. I'm, I'm like mad at Lucy. I'm frustrated with Emma. I'm mad at myself. You know, I'm just like all these frustrations and feelings. And uh, we have to go to the ER and she has to get stitches and she's going to have a scar the rest of her life. And, and in that moment, I knew that there was actually like, it was like a no-brainer, like my daughter over this dog. You know what I mean? Like, like if push comes to shove, it's my daughter over this dog, and uh, I knew that we were gonna have to uh, give up this dog for adoption because I just didn't trust that it wouldn't happen again. And so, um, in that moment, I realized that I think I had gotten a little too comfortable with the idea of dogs being domesticated. When really, at the end of the day, animals are just wild animals that we have domesticated, right? And they're wonderful companions, but I think this is actually a good illustration for us as we think about the nature and character of God, because I think many of us have gotten too comfortable and familiar with God, and we forget God's nature is holy, and we have made him out to be only fluffy. <laughs> and um, uh, it, it makes me think of another Lucy in the story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the Chronicles of Narnia. One of the stories, um, she's talking about Aslan. Uh, with Mrs. Beaver, and uh, Lucy says, is Aslan safe? And Mrs. Beaver says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. And I think that's a great um, way for us to remember and think about the nature and character of God. Um, because if we don't get this right, I think that actually our witness as Christians is wrong. I think that we're actually selling people uh, um, uh, on, uh, you know, on the lie of who God actually is. And we're not actually going to properly disciple people into a relationship with God that is reverent, that is honoring him as holy, as other than, and uh, we'll make him out to be just like the, you know, the, the Santa Claus, you know, that like, hey, I want something, so I'm just going to ask him, you know, uh, versus uh, the holiness of God. We're really missing that piece. And, um, um, and so I think we actually set up people for disaster if we forget about the holiness of God. And even worse, um, some might die one day and actually realize that they thought they knew God, but actually had no clue. And they actually weren't worshiping the one true God as much as uh, an imagination uh, of what they thought God might be like. And so the story of, of Rahab is one that we're going to read today. It comes from Joshua 2. So if you want to Open your Bibles to Joshua 2. Uh, we're going to read about the, the life of Rahab. This is one of uh, the ancestors in Jesus' genealogy. And Rahab teaches us an invaluable lesson on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So Joshua 2, 1 through 24. Uh, we're going to do this again. Uh, we're going to read this out loud. And uh, if you have a Bible or a phone, you can open it up um, to a common translation, NIV, ESV, NASB, um, NLT, one of those would, would, will do. And, um, and then we'll just go around taking five verses at a time. And if you want to pass, you can totally pass. I know some people aren't as comfortable reading out loud. And so who would like to start us off with uh, chapter 2, verse 1? Dylan, we'll just go from there. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, 
Go through the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, that they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gates were being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for they may, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan, as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen <clears throat> upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when, he came, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan in Shihon, of Og, and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the, Lord's, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. That's great. We can stop there. Okay, so we're going to do this life group style where we read it out loud and then uh, actually want us to recap and just share uh, what happened in the story in our own words. Anybody want to just take a, it's a 30 second stab at it, just kind of big, big rocks. What's happening in the story? 
uh, who are the major players and what happens. And then we'll fill in the gaps for anything you you overlook. <coughs> Dylan. Um, the Israelites are going on their first offensive in this case to take the city of Jericho and the Holy Land. So they send two spies to scout out the city. Mm. Uh, when they get there, they find a woman named Rahab who is from Jericho, but she has heard everything that God has done for them and is so terrified of these people that she makes a deal that she will keep the spies safe, she will let them escape the city, and in exchange, because she knows that God is going to win, the spies will spare her life when the time comes. Fantastic. Great. Great, Great summary. Wow. That's great. Well, how does Rahab maybe not fit the mold of an exemplary pioneer of the faith? When you think of like the, the Hall of Faith, when you think of a genealogy of like the patriarchs, how does she not fit the mold? She's a prostitute. Okay, she's a prostitute. What else? She's a Gentile. She's a Gentile. Not only a Gentile, but like a Gentile that's about to be obliterated, right, by the Israelites. Um, and let's not downplay the fact that she's a woman. And so the fact that she's mentioned in this genealogy, again, is just should, should bring us pause and, and, and make us ask, like, why? And why, why would God include this woman in the story? Um, one, I know he values women uh, more than even the culture did at the time, but not in, just any woman, a woman who is a prostitute, a non-Jewish Gentile, and on the opposite side of God's people. So um, Rahab, however, had one overriding and redeemable quality, and it's this, the fear of the Lord. The concept of fear is what I want to focus on this morning. Um, verse 9 says this, A great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Why are the Canaanites afraid? Verse 10, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did at Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. Rahab feared the Lord. She heard the story, she feared the Lord, and that she knew that her life was in danger. God is to be revered. He yeah. is to be feared. And yeah. here are just a few reasons why. First and foremost, God is the giver of life. Psalm 36, 9 says, you are the giver of life. But then Job 121 also says that God also has the right to take that life. Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God is also powerful over all. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Yeah. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is perfectly holy, and nothing impure comes into his presence. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. Exodus 33, 20 says this, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So God gives life. He takes life. He is powerful overall. He does whatever he wants. 
God is sovereign in that way. He is holy, and nothing unholy can come into his presence. So when it comes to the fear of the Lord, I believe that we will either be scared to death or scared to life. And my hope is for us that we would be scared to life. John Bevere puts it this way, and I think I've never heard it put better. He said, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of being near God. The fear of the Lord is being terrified of being far from God. That's good. Say that again. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of being near God. It is being terrified of being far from God. Mm -hmm. I pray that the Lord would scare you to life. And that you would live with a fear of the Lord like Rahab. So how did Rahab respond to the fear that she experienced? She did something about it. What's interesting is that she actually said that all of us have heard of the works of the Lord and all of us are fearful. Our hearts, our hearts melted in fear. But she was the one who did something about it. Hmm. We could see through her life she was pretty entrepreneurial. She was a go-getter. She, <laughs> she probably, um, commentaries would say that she probably ran an inn and oftentimes a brothel would be connected to an inn. Uh, she was also drawing flax on the roof, which was a, a means of agricultural gain, and that's uh, probably a source of income. So she's not lazy. She's, she's entrepreneurial. And so when the men came from Israel, she chose to hide them and then sought favor with them because she knew that she was on the wrong side of righteousness. You know what I mean? She was on the wrong side of this story. And so she had this revelation. She's like, I'm about to die. My people are about to be obliterated. And she was willing to risk her fleeting life and all she had, her reputation, maybe dying early at the hands of her own king, on the slim chance that the spies would show her mercy. Yeah. What's interesting is uh, just before the Israelites take Jericho, uh, Joshua has this encounter uh, and it says, uh, this, 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 uh, this angel of the Lord's armies, right? this commander of the, the angel armies appears to him and says, Are you for us? Joshua says, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the commander of the Lord's armies said this, Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. We need to understand that like, God doesn't take sides. Yeah. He doesn't need to take sides. It's his way. Like, he is sovereign. His will will be done. And so we are the ones who have to choose which side of righteousness we're going to be on. That's good. God doesn't take sides. He is always righteous. We as people are either in right relationship with God or we're not. Mm -hmm. There is no middle ground. Yeah, that's good. So Rahab had faith to believe that she too could be saved. This is the amazing part. She believed that she too could be transferred from the wrong side side of righteousness to life. Mm -hmm. She believed in her heart that she could transfer out of the wrong side of history, the wrong side of righteousness, the wrong side of the story, and transferred from death to life. Mm -hmm. And then here in the story we see this, this beautiful prophetic symbol of a scarlet thread. If you remember in the story, you, there's a scarlet thread that she, uh, that the, the Israelites say, you need to tie this outside of your home. And this will be a sign to us that this is a home that we need to spare. So if you've seen um, 
um, if you've seen the story before, you would have imagined she's, she, she's like living on the wall of this house, and, or uh, the wall of the city. Her house is built into this wall, and the Israelites are coming, and so they see the scarlet thread hanging there, which is a prophetic symbolism of what? Passover. The Passover. What mm-hmm. else? Blood. The blood of the lamb. Because remember, we've been talking about this for the past month, for several, for several weeks now. Uh, when we sin, something has to die. It's a law as sure as gravity. When we sin, the consequence is death. And so when Adam and Eve first sinned, something had to die. And, and God actually made the first sacrifice. He slaughtered animals and covered them in animal skin. And so there was the first sacrifice for their sin. And so from that point on, it would be a law written in to our very existence. And it would not be until Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross, Mm -hmm. his blood shed for us, that Mm -hmm. we would be transferred from death into life, into right relationship Mm -hmm. with him. So Jesus Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross, which allows us, for most of us, probably Gentiles here in this room, we are Gentiles who have been transferred from the wrong side of history, the wrong side of righteousness, the wrong side of the story, into life itself. So Rahab's fear of the Lord scared her to life. Even though she was in sin, I mean, we cannot gloss over the fact that she was a prostitute. So this is good news, though, for us, that there's no one too far from God. That if somebody carries within themselves the fear of the Lord and the faith to call upon his name, no matter the sin, they too can be saved. Yeah. Rahab was a prostitute. But God saves not just innocent, because truly there is no innocent. If you read Romans 3.10, there is no one innocent other than Jesus. Mm-hmm. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that is good news for us. That if God saved a Canaanite prostitute, woman, when he didn't have to, he saves us. Secondly, even though she was not raised in a God-fearing culture, uh, Jesus doesn't just save Christians. Jesus saves all who call on the name of the Lord. Yeah. So Jesus saves Muslims. Jesus saves atheists. Jesus saves Hindus. Jesus saves gay people. Jesus loves the whole world that he sent his only son, that anyone who would call on his name would be saved. Mm-hmm. This is good news for us because even though Rahab was on the in the worst of circumstances, like she had nothing, uh, you know, to really like like barter with. Like she didn't. Everything was fleeting. She had no hope. Rahab was living on the wall of a city that was about to be brought to rubble. Her house was literally a house of cards. It was about to fall down. There's no hope, and yet the fear of the Lord led her to her salvation and to her blessing. Her family was saved. Mm-hmm. We'll see later on that she marries and has children. And we'll see later on that she's actually mentioned in the New Testament as one in the hall of faith and as a woman of righteousness. Rahab is not a forefather. She's a foremother of faith. She's a foremother of faith for us. <clears throat> so Rahab would be considered a black sheep in so many families for the, mm-hmm. the obvious reasons that we shared. Uh, but she's included in the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus for a reason. Mm-hmm. She's a foremother of our faith. The life of Rahab teaches us that the fear of the Lord leads to life mm-hmm. for anyone, no matter the sin, no matter the culture, no matter the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Fear of the Lord. When we call on Him for salvation, we find our hope 
we find our saving. Mm -hmm. And that goes for both uh, life eternal and then the life eternal that starts even now, here and now. And so this is something that we don't just do once. We don't just say the sinner's prayer once and say, okay, I've got my ticket into heaven. This is something that we can live with perpetually saying, God, I am not worthy. Yeah. I am steeped in my own sin. And God, I am terrified of being far from you. Mm -hmm. God, I want to be close to you and on the right side of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And in that, Jesus takes us from death into life, both then in the future and here and now. So, what is the fruit of Rahab's fear? What happened because of her fear? She was saved, but let's read just this. I'll read this last portion of scripture here from, uh, from Joshua, starting in verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers mm -hmm. and her sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire, her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. What is the fruit of Rahab's faith and her fear of the Lord? Hebrews 11.31 includes her in the hall of faith as it's listing off everybody from Abraham and onward. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. James 2.25 cites Rahab. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions? Remember, everybody was scared. But she was the one who acted on that faith. Her faith put into action was considered righteousness for her. Psalm 85, 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. We see that salvation was near to Rahab because she feared the Lord. And she believed that she too could be saved. If there was a life verse for Rahab, I think it would be this. From Proverbs 31. You know it well. Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Her charm and her beauty and everything that she was working for was fleeting very quickly, but her fear of the Lord is the thing to be praised. <laughs> so what do we do with this word today and how do we apply it to our lives? We've got four categories here. First and foremost is in our decision making. When it comes to a fear of the Lord and living with a fear of the Lord, remember, fear is not being afraid of being uh, uh, near to God, but actually being terrified of being far from God. Uh, when you're making decisions, pray. Pray and seek the Lord. Know that your life matters mm -hmm. and that your actions here will reverberate throughout all of history. So bring God into the decisions you make, no matter how small or how big. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a new job, whether it's moving, pray and ask God and say, God, I don't trust myself enough 
to make this decision apart from you. Mm -hmm. You ought to be terrified of being far from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Secondly, submit yourself to God's covering in your life by seeking out spiritual authority in those that you were in community with. God gave you covering for a reason. Yeah. He gave you covering because we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. And I, I've said this before, but I've been blessed every time that I've submitted our discernment and our decision mm -hmm. process to spiritual authority, to leadership, whether it's my own parents, whether it's our pastors, whether it's my life group leader, my discipler, whoever it is at the time, if I submit myself to God's covering in that place, I am blessed because of it. And God's purposes uh, can be seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And I can walk on the right side of the story, mm -hmm. not on the wrong side of the story. And third in this category, let the Word of God speak into your process. Like, measure up your life, your decision-making, your yeah. discernment against the Word of God. And so say, good. does this line up with the Word of God? Yeah. Is this bearing fruit of the Spirit? Yeah. Is this consistent with how God has called me to live as a disciple of Jesus? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. <laughs> this is what it looks like to make decisions with a fear of the Lord. Sin. In the category of sin, watch out and be careful for normalization of sin and cheap grace. If you find yourself in a community or a culture or a family or a household or a friendship that is somehow making excuses for what the Bible clearly calls sin, beware. Watch mm -hmm. out that we don't normalize sin and fall into cheap grace and say, well, it's all covered in the blood. Paul urges us. He says, shall we continue sinning then? No. Mm -hmm. We are not to continue sinning just because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. All the more we should, out of reverence, out of mm -hmm. our uh, adoration, yeah. out of our worship, seek holiness. Yes. God asks us to be holy. Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. Watch out for the normalization of sin and cheap grace. And secondly, in this category of sin, when living with the fear of the Lord, know that if you're stuck... The best place to run is to the altar and to confession. You need help and God's grace. You need to run to God and to the church. If you're stuck, if you're stuck in sin, run to the altar and confess your need. And God will bring you freedom in that place. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, the third category, beliefs. What does it look like to live with the fear of the Lord in our beliefs? I would say this, your, your worldview is being shaped each and every day. Yeah. And so we have to be mindful of the influences in our lives when it comes to worldviews. Uh, so stay away from the influence of godless people and godless ideas. And I'm thinking like podcasts, news sources, books, media, etc. Uh, if you find somebody who has no fear of the Lord when they talk, if they are openly blaspheming, or, 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 or living with a sense of, I am my own authority. I am my own God. If there is a lack of reverence for the Lord, be mindful of how much time you spend soaking in that environment. Because more than you realize, you soak that up. Mm -hmm. That influences you more than you realize. Mm -hmm. I've seen it time and time again where it's, it's not like somebody wakes up one day and be like, I'm going to be an atheist today. But it happens, it's a slow creep where all of a sudden they're just around the right influences and they're around these godless and God, lack of God-fearing people and then they just start creeping slowly into this place 
of indifference, of apathy, of, of, of atheism, and the belief that, eh, God doesn't really care, God's not really there, God's not really real. And then one day, they realize, I'm not even a Christian anymore. I had a good friend that I grew up with, and we were part of a youth group together, and then after college, we were in a young adults ministry together, and this guy was on fire. Like, he was, he was out of all, the, all, the, all my young adult friends, he would have been the guy that I considered to be, like, the most zealous and passionate for the Lord. Fast forward, uh, six months ago, I call him up, moving back to the Twin Cities, and I'm like, I'm like, bro, we're moving back. Talk to me, like, where are you at? What are you doing? I'm like, I wanted to see if he and I could reconnect, and I really wanted to, like, get together with the hot coals and start praying for the Twin Cities. And I said, where are you at with Jesus? He said, um, he's like, I would not consider myself a Christian anymore. What? I'm like, how? How is that possible? And I had seen some things happen along the way. And first and foremost, his wife went through a really, really like just time where she was completely left the church, just disillusioned, discouraged. And then, she, and then he was starting to just not stop going to church, even though he considered himself a Christian for a while. Uh, and then he was starting to work in this really like uh, a very volatile environment with people that were very hostile against the gospel and against Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, like, you cannot stand by yourself in that environment forever. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in a workplace that is hostile to the faith, you have to surround yourself with prayer covering, with people believing with you, praying with you. And, and you have to really pray and ask, like, God, is this the place for me? Is this a mission that I have? Because if you're just there for a paycheck, if it's going to cost you your soul... It is not worth it. Yeah. And, and, and lo and behold, my friend, like years after, later, he, he said, I'm not even a Christian anymore. I was like, I can't believe this. Mm-hmm. So be, be careful of the influence, the godless people, the, the godless ideas, the ones who don't carry a fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you don't care about those people. It doesn't mean that you just like stick your head in the sand and just live in a commune the rest of your life. But you have to be aware that you are a person. You are not invincible. You are not impermeable to these various ideas that are competing with a worldview. Mm-hmm. Like, the worldview right now of our culture is not one that's saying, God is the highest good. We live in a, you know, this is like a humanism era, where it's like, man, rationality, we make the laws, we make the rules, everybody decides for themselves. It's like straight out of the book of Judges, where it says, in those days, everybody did as they uh, uh, saw fit. Number four, in our actions. What does it look like to live with the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord without action is a useless feeling. Again, did not all of Jericho tremble in fear? So it's one thing to say like, oh God, man, he is holy. Have fun. You know, it's, it's another thing to say like, I'm going to do something about it. Like, I want to get right with God. I want to run to the altar. I want to call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that if we, if, we, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, and we confess with our lips, it's not just like a, a kind of like a, a, a static belief. It's actually an active faith thing, like an active belief of like, I believe this and it changes who I am and my, my very life, my very existence. So fear without action is useless. James 2.25 says this, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous, for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So here's what I want to do as we 
come to a close with uh, this story of Rahab, this foremother of our faith. I love her story, and I love that it brings hope for anybody, no matter the sin, no matter the culture, no matter the circumstances you're in, that when we live with the fear of the Lord, we can call upon Him and be saved. We can transfer from death into life. And that applies not just to our eternal salvation, but to every situation we find ourselves in. I want to meditate on the fruit of the fear of the Lord. There are numerous Bible verses that talk about um, the blessing and the fruit of somebody who walks in the fear of the Lord. And so um, I'm going to read these off, and if you want to just close your notes, close your Bibles, um, if it helps to close your eyes just to, to stop uh, the distractions from coming in, I'm going to read off, uh, I've just got about I've got 24 of these verses. I'm just going to read these off, and I want you to meditate on what it is to live with the fear of the Lord and the fruit that comes from living with the fear of the Lord. Let us begin remembering that the Lord God actually commands us to fear Him. Deuteronomy 6.24 So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. Here are the biblical promises for those who fear Him. Psalm 31.19 God's goodness will be poured out how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Psalm 128, 1-4 You will have fruitfulness in your work, happiness, and a flourishing family. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Proverbs 10.27 promises us prolonged life. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 19.23, life and secure rest. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Proverbs 22.4 promises that the fear of the Lord will bring riches, honor, and life. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. I'm not making this up. This is straight from Scripture. Proverbs 28.14 How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Psalm 115.13 He will bless those who fear the Lord the small together with the great. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord, how blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 33, 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, mm -hmm. on those who hope for his loving kindness, mm -hmm. to, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. God's word promises that you will actually have God's attention. The very eye of the Lord will be upon you who fear him. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. The word promises the Lord's protection and rescue in times of battle. Psalm 85, 9. The promise of saving 
Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that the glory may dwell in our land. Mm -hmm. Psalm 145, 19. Fulfill desires. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. Mm -hmm. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Psalm 147, 11. Favor. The Lord favors those who fear him. Those who wait for his loving kindness. You know what that means? The Lord favors those who fear him. Those who wait for his loving kindness. I'm going to interpret that for you. The Lord favors those who fear him. Those who wait for his loving kindness. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 8, 12-13 promises wellness. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Luke 1, verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Mm -hmm. Psalm 25, 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. Mm -hmm. The promise of guidance and discernment. Mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes 7, 16 through 18. You will avoid extremes such as wickedness and also over-religiosity. It says this, Do not be over-righteous. Do not be over-wicked. Whoever fears the Lord will avoid all extremes. Amen. Psalm 103, verse 11. God's loving kindness. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. Psalm 115, 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 14, 26 through 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, mm. and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may avoid the snares of death. Mm. Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Mm -hmm. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, mm -hmm. on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Your name will be written in the book of life. Malachi 4.2, healing and le levity. But for those who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, yeah. and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. The promise of healing and levity. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. Mm -hmm. You will have contentment and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Psalm 111, verse 5. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He provides for us our very physical sustenance and sustaining. Praise God. Why don't we stand up? Let's just worship God together. One last song. I just want us to meditate on these verses. We think about the fear of the Lord. It's not being scared of being near Him, but being terrified of being far from Him. We praise you, Jesus, that we can be in right relationship with you, that we can be on the right side of history. We can be on the right side of righteousness with you. In Jesus' name, we praise you, God. We love you.